Hey, 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 is entrepreneurialism the way to heal the world? Find out next on The Profit with After Buzz. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. A little Cuban music here. I said the cameras can't handle me. I love this. This is hot. Welcome, After Buzzers. We're here to talk today about the special episode of The Prophet in Havana, Cuba. How amazing is this? What a, what a great idea that they had to go out there and check out Havana, Cuba. I just want to listen to the music for the whole time we're on here, if that's uh, okay with y'all. Uh, <laughs> very special episode here, so uh, let's rock and roll a little bit. Talk a little bit about uh, what was happening in uh, in Cuba with Marcus Limonis. Um, so special episode here tonight. Uh, normally on the episodes, of, and I am by myself here after Buzzer, so I'm uh, all by my all by my lonesome uh, because this is you know Cuba was a formerly uh, communist country, and uh, our other my my co-host Katerina Kazayas uh, had personal issues with this. No, I'm joking. She didn't. She's gonna do me in. No, she was. Uh, she's uh, all tied up elsewhere, uh, figuratively, not literally. Um, and she couldn't make it here tonight, so I'm going to be presenting here by myself, and we'll be breaking this episode down. By the way, if you do want to reach out to me, uh, reach out at Chris Howard Live on Twitter or Instagram. You can also uh, go to legendarylivingdaily.com. Uh, if you go there, you'll get daily tips, inspiration, motivation, entrepreneurial tips, a whole lot of uh, fun stuff on there. And if you go to legendarylivingtv.com, you can go there for YouTube, and I've got all sorts of videos on there, and you can check those out as well. Uh, many of them are uh, profit-related and increasing the level of richness in your life and the quality of your life immensely. So go check that out. That's at legendarylivingtv.com. Uh, and now let's talk a little bit about Havana. I love Havana. I was uh, I lived in Bali for about two years, and while out there, uh, and it, it, I kept relating Bali to Havana, Cuba, when Marcus was going out there because uh, it's you know essentially. It's a developing nation, uh, if you think of Indonesia as well. So uh, the, most of the country lives well below what we would, the, you know, the amount of money that we make out here in the United States, for example. Uh, you've got the average wage in Bali was uh, $100. So I could really relate to this episode. Uh, most Cubans will live off of about $300 a month. Um, so uh, really, uh, I had some point of reference to relate this to, but there's a point behind what I'm saying. So when I lived in Bali, they had a little restaurant. This is close to, as, as close to Cuba as I've come. They had a little restaurant called Cafe Havana, and we, they would play this kind of music, and we'd dance, and I actually took some lessons, so it's good fun. And they had the uh, old Chevy out front, so it was very uh, Cuban style. And uh, I'll tell you what, I love the flair. I love the style. Uh, I love the feel of Cuba. And now, gosh darn it, we got to see Marcus Lemonis go over there and check it out. Uh, and I think this is uh, really not just a great idea, but it must have been a whole lot of fun for Marcus. So Marcus, if you're watching, uh, give a shout out. Let us know how you enjoyed that out there. I'm sure it was uh, quite a fantastic trip. Uh, they've just recently, of course, opened up the ability uh, for us to travel from the United States to Cuba. And that was part of the magic of this trip was capturing uh, the uh, just the, the raw energy coming out of Cuba right now 
And just recently, they've opened up the uh, ability for people to launch entrepreneurial ventures in Cuba. So as we started, just before we started the show, I said, is entrepreneurial, blah, 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 take my speaking course, Um, is entrepreneurialism the key to healing the world? And I do think uh, that at some level, it really can be. Uh, the it gives us the ability to put the structure underneath our dreams. So you go out to a country like Cuba, and this is uh, at one point in the show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a little bit just to uh, make some key points. Uh, Marcus went out there, and he had a uh, he had a teacher that went out with him. And one of the things that this uh, professor of uh, the of Cuba and the economy that knew a little bit about it said that when, you know, as they're moving from socialism and they're just beginning to open some opportunities for entrepreneurs to go uh, make their, you know, make their mark, um, already in the social uh, socialistic structure, there's some, there's certain things that you get. You get housing. So that's provided for you. You get an education. You get health care. You get a job. So all of those things are provided. They're uh, you know they're assumed, and uh, that means that what they're doing is they're lifting up the society to a certain level that that uh, philosophically speaking you don't fall below. But the problem that they have there is they're paying the price of the heavy burdens of the socialism. Uh, so the government isn't adequately equipped to take care of everybody at that level. So now what they're experiencing is that they're getting some, uh, the, there's holes that are bursting in the bottom of this model. And so the government's opening up uh, the economy in certain ways, in very controlled ways. That's what we got throughout this entire episode, was that the opening up of the economy is going to be done in a controlled way, still controlled by the government, but they're giving entrepreneurs an opportunity to launch their own ventures uh, within a sphere of control. And uh, that was, I think this was, if you haven't seen the episode, by all means, go and watch the episode uh, because there's nothing that uh, speaks as loudly as the images that are captured in this in terms of uh, what people are doing, how they're living, uh, the beauty of the country, because it really is a beautiful place. The streets, the colors, think of the pastels and the pale colors and the, the old Chevys that you see driving down the street and the music, and you get a sense of the ambiance uh, that's there. And it, it, there's really, really a sense of magic. And you know, what's kind of interesting is when I look at the people that are walking in the streets, uh, just because I've lived in places like this, I've I've lived in Bali. I, you know, I've been to uh, Belize and other countries like that, where you see uh, the same level of, uh, I guess one would say poverty, but there's also a simplicity behind it that's quite beautiful. You see the children playing in the streets, and you see the children have no shoes in the streets, and they've, they're a little dirtier than they might be out here in the states. But they got these huge smiles on their faces, and there's a there's a simplicity behind that that uh, you know you have to really question whether they're as impoverished as we think, at least from an emotional uh, perspective. Uh, but what I've found in in, in uh, touring around the world is that people you know, can have a whole lot of money and still not be living a rich life. And yet you look at people uh, like some of the children that Marcus was playing with in this episode in Cuba, and uh, they have no money, uh, but they look uh, like they've got an emotional richness that we uh, rarely see uh, in uh, some of the Western countries. So there's something there's something to be said for that. But nonetheless, uh, they're opening up. And what was fascinating to me 
was to see uh, that people were going into businesses of their own, but you were getting very well-educated people. And so this is one of the, you know, one of the talking points here. Uh, for what was happening inside this episode is that you had people with PhDs. You had people that were trained as a dentist or trained as a doctor or trained as a uh, an engineer that were going into a bakery uh, business, for instance, and or or they're making cakes. You know, they're actually they're not owning the business. They're going in and making cakes because they can make more money in an entrepreneurial venture like that than they had been previously in the job that they had been trained for. Uh, when working for the state, right? So uh, the, there's these opportunities that are opening up and you see people flooding into the opportunity. They, I, let's, I'll even restrain that a little bit. I won't even say flooding into the opportunities because uh, there's, uh, they have their own challenges in opening up these entrepreneurial opportunities. Number one, you have to pick between 200, yeah, there's a list of 201 uh, that uh, 201 governmentally accepted or approved uh, entrepreneurial ventures. So you've only got 201. And if you pick from, you, you, you can't go outside that list. You got to pick from that list. And the rules are heavy and deep. And so one of the patterns that we were seeing in this episode, one of the things that really emerged was that the successful entrepreneurs were people who had really, really, really learned the rules. We saw that uh, the rules that they had to play by in order to build their business. And we saw that in this episode as well, that the government has the ability to stop the entrepreneurial venture at any time they want with no advanced warning and with no reason. So, uh, for example, there were clothing stores that were being uh, launched and the government came out and, and or the garment stores, the, the garment in the, their, uh, their version of, the, of a garment district. And they came down, they closed down all of those stores because they were competing with the state run stores. And they said, that, that's, uh, we want to keep that monopoly on that business there. And there were certain other uh, stores that were still governmentally run. Uh, like if you had, they had, I believe the brands were Adidas and Reebok. If there were clothing, uh, items of clothing that were shipped in from foreign countries or Western countries and to be resold, the government held the monopoly on that. You couldn't go into that kind of a business of reselling uh, brand name clothing. Uh, so a very, very controlled by the government, uh, very controlled release of uh, the opportunity uh, for economic change uh, for individuals that were pioneering enough to go in and, and move into those types of ventures. So once again, we're seeing people that were that are well educated, uh, oftentimes in jobs that if you were thinking to think of it here in the United States, you think, what the heck is, a, a, you know, an engineer doing baking a cake in a bakery? But the amount of money they can make there is so much higher than in the government paid job. So uh, what was also fascinating about this episode was the reticence of people to talk about money. And we're, we're, we're talking about a show called The Profit. Uh, Marcus typically goes into businesses and picks them apart. And the first thing he wants to see is their finances. Sorry, I spit. I got so excited. Um, <laughs> the freedom revolution around the world. Uh, but uh, Marcus will pick it apart. He'll look at the finances and you know, give his insights. But in this particular episode, there were no finances really to look at per se. And most of the entrepreneurs that he was talking to really didn't feel comfortable with those types of questions, right? From the, he, he starts with a bakery. And uh, he goes into this bakery. There's a young couple that, that owns the bakery. 
and he's asking them questions about how much does how much does the store cost? What's it cost to produce uh, these things? And how much money do you make on a daily basis? And the guy says, you know, I'm not really comfortable with these types of questions that you're asking. And as you can imagine, if it is, uh, and it is, government-run, uh, uh, that anything getting out there in a big way about the amount of money you make and that type of thing can either arouse jealousy, well, well I'm going to say arouse jealousies with others or other problems that uh, they don't want to have to deal with. So not, not, and not only was the uh, couple that had the bakery that had problems revealing uh, what the uh, finances were, but we saw that go even deeper as he went and he met with a, a couple of other uh, entrepreneurs on this trip. The interesting thing about this also is that uh, Marcus was not able to invest in companies out there. He can't do that as a Westerner right now, still because of the embargo uh, that the United States has on Cuba. Uh, they're still not able to invest in Cuba, you know, perhaps in, in future years. And the Cuban economy is hurting for it. Uh, so they're going through this uh, period of transition uh, but uh, to a large extent, they're also going broke because of the uh, remnants. And I can't even say remnants of socialism because it's still highly socialistic. Uh, however, uh, it's kind of the burden of that socialism. Uh, and so we get the uh, expressions of entrepreneurship uh, popping up all over the place. You know, And it goes back to the age-old argument of are you better with a socialist state or are you better with a capitalist-type uh, economy? Uh, and we see... Uh, the impact of the socialism. We also see the impact of the years of uh, embargo that have occurred there. Um, the one thing that uh, I think really is special about the uh, capitalistic system and the ability to launch out as an entrepreneur is that you can uh, go to achieve, to create, to make to make something of yourself. The whole concept of the American dream that Ayn Rand talked about in The Fountainhead. If you haven't uh, read the book The Fountainhead, it's it's highly worth reading. Whether or not you you know jump onto Ayn Rand's philosophies uh, at the extreme, I, I don't at the extreme. But there's definitely uh, things to learn from the book The Fountainhead, which is about uh, you know, your ability to. Uh, in the in the book, they uh, talk about a man who's building buildings. He's an architect, Howard uh, Rourke, and uh, he builds just to build for himself, not for anybody else, but just to get the the pleasure of having created something. And Ayn Rand also came from a time where, or came from a place. She was, I believe, she's a Russian immigrant, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, let me know. Um, but she was, uh, I believe, a Russian immigrant that. Uh, had come over to the United States. And so for her, she was coming from socialism into a capitalistic uh, society that she looked at as being the, uh, the fountainhead, <laughs> right? As being the, uh, you know, the, the uh, heaven incarnate, heaven on, heaven on earth, the ability to actually go out and create something for yourself and make something of yourself beyond what a government entity would tell you you had to be. Uh, and so uh, we we see, and I, th I think there's there's uh, you know sometimes we get into black and white type thinking, we get into dichotomous thinking, this or that. It either has to be capitalism or socialism, and I think that uh, there's many many shades of gray. We can lift society up to a certain level while simultaneously allowing for uh, ambition and personal uh, desire for achievement to uh, to cause the economy to flourish which is what we're just beginning to see here 
uh, in this episode with uh, Cuba. So uh, let's see. Let's let's go through this. We had he started with the bakery. Bakery was kind of neat. They were doing, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they were doing about three hundred dollars a day, um, which is essentially what most Cubans will do in a month. So you look at why uh, real uh, somebody who's well educated might want to get into. Uh, an entrepreneurial venture, and the answer is right there. It's not. It's not difficult to discover. One of the things that the couple that owned the bakery pointed out was that uh, there's an opportunity that exists in Cuba right now that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And I thought this was very, very astute, and it was uh, neat to have them pointed out, and also uh, neater even to have uh, Marcus accentuate the point because there's an opportunity out there that doesn't exist anywhere else. What, what do I mean? In Western society, if they were to come to the United States, which a lot of Cubans are doing right now, so they're leaving the country uh, in the hopes of pursuing uh, the the American dream, really, because they were waiting uh, with no with no results in Cuba for so long. They wanted, they thought that one day they could maybe make their own dreams come true. They, that never happened for their parents' generation. Now they're flooding over to the U.S. Uh, but what this couple had pointed out, and what uh, I think is really, really valid, is that there's an opportunity in Cuba that doesn't exist anyplace else. If they were to come to the U.S. and take their money, and you know, I think they had forty six or 40000 in savings, if they were to take that and open up a bakery in the United States, they'd be dealing with all of the competition out there, out here. We're in the U.S., right? Um, but by, by being in Cuba, they have an opportunity to get on the ground floor of what could give them potentially in the future franchise opportunities and things like that. They're not allowed to do that in Cuba right now. It's against the rules. So you get one license, you get to open one storefront. Fascinating, right? One license, one storefront. Uh, so they could open another storefront in the husband's name because the first one was opened up in the wife's name. Um, at which they're, they have future plans for. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but to franchise is not a possibility right now. Now, that would be something that could potentially happen several years in the future in Cuba. And I, by being on the ground floor, they're able to take advantage of that. That's number one. Number two, there's not the mass competition that we have in the U.S. because you do have to know the rules in Cuba. It is very complex. And if you can also imagine people coming from a place where they weren't responsible for themselves. They didn't have to be a business owner. The, the, the mindset that it takes to, uh, to rise to the top of a corporation, for example, and finally get the gold watch, and they probably don't even get the gold watches over there, I'm sure. Um, but, but that kind of mindset is an entirely different mindset than it takes to launch a business, the pioneering type uh, mindset that it takes to launch a business. And if you've got the entire country that's been stifled, for lack of a better word, uh, but that has been stifled over the years from having that and adopting that entrepreneurial mindset. It's not something that comes overnight to you with ease. So it's, it is really a pioneering adventure to move into that where there's a lot of risk that's involved. And once again, you have to know the rules and the, the rules are very, very complex over there, or you could disappear overnight. And even knowing the rules, you can still disappear overnight. So you get the increase in risk that uh, these people are taking on but also the increase in reward. Um, one of the things, when I, I was in South Africa, and 
while I was out there, I had gone out to work with the Branson School for Entrepreneurs. So I had been to Richard Branson's island, and I spent a little bit of time out there, I think, in 2005 or 2006. And I was talking to Richard, and, I, and we were having a conversation about uh, s- social entrepreneurialism and making a difference through entrepreneurialism by creating jobs and raising the economy. And so uh, essentially what I did was I uh, went out to, to work with them and to work with the first free university in South Africa that was creating jobs for the, the, the South African people um, by helping to foster their entrepreneurialism so that they could uh, help to elevate the, the state of the economy. Well, one of the things I met uh, for drinks with uh, the head of Virgin Mobile out in uh, South Africa while I was out there. And he said, you know what South Africa really needs is people like you. He said, they need, we need entrepreneurs, and we need them specifically in the Branson School for Entrepreneurs um, to teach these people. He said, it's not me that we need. Now, this is the CEO of Virgin Mobile uh, South Africa. He said, because it's not the same mindset that it takes to be a CEO that it takes to be a business owner. It's a different mindset to be the entrepreneur that launched the business, that launches the business. Now, oftentimes the CEO is the business owner. Uh, they're both. But uh, in larger corporations, that's not uh, always, in fact, often not the case in larger corporations such as the Virgin Companies. So I found that very, very interesting. So the mindset is entirely different. And so when you think of a country like Cuba that's going blind into entrepreneurialism and, and capitalism, uh, it's, it's a very scary place to be. Uh, and it's a place that's not, uh, not well-tread and not, you don't have uh, maps to get from where you are to where you want to be, or at least you don't have the, uh, the, uh, the shining lights of possibility and the examples that have been the road before you because they just opened up. Right now, in addition to that, you look at a country like Cuba and what they've got is uh, they've got government controlled Internet. Uh, they've got there. It's, it's very, very controlled. All the communication, uh, the uh, broadcast, the media, everything is tightly, tightly controlled. Uh, so you don't get a lot of outside uh, influence, uh, which could really hinder them from an education perspective as well in terms of building these businesses. In fact, uh, the business owners, while they may have been well educated in whatever it was that they did prior to becoming entre- entrepreneurs, um, the reality is, is that they, uh, they were lacking uh, real entrepreneurial skills, which oftentimes comes from experience. So that, that makes sense. It stands to reason, um, experience and or education. Um, but uh, so this was, this was really fascinating to see Marcus go in and try to have a standard conversations with these entrepreneurs. And they don't, you know, they're in a business, but they can't tell you, they can't do the uh, breakdowns of the numbers like you'd see in a traditional business. And not only can they not, they don't want to. The, 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 some of these entrepreneurs were asked about what it cost to, you know, we had one guy that he goes on to a, uh, a farm. And this, this was an interesting guy. He had his PhD, uh, Fernando. And he's got, uh, he's, he said he was a bit of a legend in the area where they were because he, uh, he farms and they have other, over 60 different types of produce that they, uh, that they grow right there on the farm property. And what was fascinating about Fernando is that he was a, well, I'll show you a couple of things. He's a PhD in agriculture and he was a teacher in a university prior to when they said, hey, we're going to let some people launch some entrepreneurial ventures. Then he goes, you know, I'm in. And so he takes his PhD, his education in agriculture, and he goes out to launch this 
huge entrepreneurial venture, and he's he's got uh, beautiful, beautiful farmland, uh, all sorts of uh, different types of things that he's growing there. There's people out working in the fields. But what was fascinating to me about Fernando was that he is a socialist to the core. So he's a firm believer in the social uh, socialist mentality. And one of the things that he had pointed out was, he's like, I don't, uh, I didn't buy this land. He said, you can't buy land in Cuba. Well, things have changed a little bit. And just as of recent, within the last five years, Cubans can uh, purchase uh, buildings and things like that. And, and there are some land purchases they, they can do. But um, from Fernando's perspective, he's like, you can't buy land. He said, the land is the people's. It's not mine. And here was where we saw the conflict between uh, what Fernando was saying and what the socialist manifesto is, if you will, and what Marcus was preaching could be the uh, the way to change the world. And I'm a little bit more tentative than Marcus is because Marcus, I think, really holds out for entrepreneurialism is the way. And that makes sense. He's the prophet, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, Fernando was really holding out that socialism is the way. And... What was fascinating is Fernando didn't own the land. He can't own the land. It's community land. And he said, it's owned by the people. And Marcus says, you mean by the state? And he said, no, it's owned by the people. And here was, here's the conflict in understanding based on each of their individual models of the world. Right. So for for Marcus, that's clearly the state owns it. It's not the people's. And this man who's a firm uh, uh, proponent, if you will, of socialism says, no, it's the people's. We're going to be here. The land will be here for a thousand years and it will still be the people's uh, for to, you know, to Marcus's defense there. Uh, is it really the people's if the state can close your business down at any time and take anything from you that they want? Uh, so there was that inherent conflict. Marcus didn't push it too much. Uh, he was, he, he pushed a, a couple of buttons here and there for people. Uh, but, uh, it was an, it was definitely an interesting conversation, uh, that went down there. And the other thing that was, uh, interesting about Fernando's place was that he had just built his dream house on the property. So he built this house. Marcus was trying to get out of him. How much did you build the house for? What did it cost? And the guy's like, I don't feel comfortable answering these questions. <laughs> so he said, well, was at, at my point, Marcus was persistent, man. He was bulldogged. He's like, well, was it 5,000? And the guy said, I think a little more than that. And he said, was it 10,000? The guy says, a little less. Right? So he was able to get that he was able to build this dream house for $10,000. Well, one of the things that sets Fernando apart is that he's able to go on a lecture circuit and he lectures in the United States on Cuba as well. So he makes money that normal Cubans wouldn't make. Uh, he has access to funds that most Cubans wouldn't have. So while he's preaching the values of, the, of socialism, uh, which would make a whole lot of sense if the country's letting you out to go uh, do the speaking circuits. You probably want to play the game. But while he's preaching those values, he's really living a life that's something different than the uh, socialistic values, uh, this, the socialistic constraints, I'll say, that the other people have to live underneath. So he's he's living a, uh, a blessed life within that society. Um, uh, let's see, what else do we have here? We have uh, the, the, here, uh, one place where Marcus was able to make a, a, an impact to some degree, we'll see, 
Uh, what is this picture you're putting up there? <laughs> I'm seeing weird photos coming up on my television. I was like, all right. One place, and it's, it's cool, man. I like those photos. Um, one place where Marcus was uh, uh, able to make an impact was, uh, they, 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 so the two bakers, the young couple that had launched this bakery, they had bought another, they had bought a building. And they bought it for $46,000, and it was right down near the dock. Uh, where it was always a very busy part of town. So now they're looking at expanding. We've got the successful bakery. We're making $300 a day. That's more than most Cubans will make in a month. Let's buy this other building over here with the $46,000. We spent that. Uh, and it wasn't actually the entire building that they got. They got the bottom floor of a building. It was pretty run down, but it was right at the port. So you had the cruise ships that come in, and lots of traffic. It was definitely prime real estate where they had bought this building. And they then said that they wanted to open a little restaurant and a bar where people could come in and have drinks and that type of thing. They said, we've been successful here. We want to do that. Well, if you know Marcus at all, and my philosophy, like what's in my head right away, is you know, why, that's not what you know. Why would you take what you know and go do something that you don't know? The chances of failure then go up rather than building on your previous success. However, you probably wouldn't take that same building and put a bakery there. It just wouldn't be uh, uh, the wisest use of, of that spot. It is really prime territory. And a, a little restaurant probably could be very wise, uh, a wise use of that spot. Um, what was interesting also is that the couple had said that they had already been offered over 200, I think it was right around $200,000 um, for the same spot that they purchased for $46,000. So Marcus quickly does the math. Um, I was kind of on the same track of thought. I think he, uh, he, he quickly does the math in his head. And he says, listen, you could, you could walk away. You could put 150 grand in your pocket right now. He said, think for a moment how much you would have to work, how many years you would have to work until you showed a net profit, not just a gross pro, you know, the gross revenue, but a net profit where you could actually take that money and think of all the headaches you'd have to go through, put that in your pocket and walk away. He said, you can do that right now. Um, so there's a good argument to be made for taking the 200000 and then potentially getting another license for another bakery, opening up another bakery in another area in the husband's name. Uh, and then being on the ground floor of what could be a franchise opportunity as that opened up in Cuba. Uh, at first, I was thinking, yeah, I, I totally agreed 100% with everything that Marcus was saying. I was kind of down the same track of thought. Um, the it, it, Actually, I was totally down the same track of thought, but I thought he was he pushed a little bit more than I would have. However, in retrospect, I think he was spot on. There's not really anything to, to criticize about that uh, decision making. He said it was he, at one point he said it's a bad decision to launch this new business. And I get it. You got to learn the new business and stuff. The one thing that I had in my head was because of the prime real estate that was right there. You know, they're right, right on the uh, on the port. My bet is, is even not knowing the business, even not knowing the numbers, even not knowing what the turnover of the restaurant had to be, that they could go out there, slug it out, and have something that one could point to and call success. Not in the way that we typically think about it in the United States, because we're, uh, you know, we uh, the competition is much tougher. Um, out there in that place and that type of uh, with that type of real estate, I believe that mo there's money to be made. I guess that's my point. Uh, and I don't think that uh, yeah, things have to be perfect and the process has to be perfect in a place that is so unique like that, uh, where, uh, you know, it's it's just so 
I, I want to say savage, but I, I, I don't mean that in the literal sense. I mean that in terms of uh, the ways of thinking uh, and the ways of, of, the, of competing in a territory like that. I think there is money to be made. But uh, having said that, Mark is 100% right in the, uh, from my perspective in terms of the advice that he gave. And if they were to cash out at 150, uh, they'd be able to buy a property for a lot less than the 46,000 that they spent there. And if they could replicate their success doing 300 a day, uh, I could see that as being a really, really valid strategy. Uh, I think they had their heart into doing something a little bit different. And my bet is, is if they do, if they don't take his advice, They'll still they'll still do uh, well. They may find themselves a slave to this new business. It may take them years and years and years. And they may never get that hundred and fifty grand back. But uh, they are part of that entrepreneurial landscape of that's shifting and growing. And even if it's not in the most elegant ways all the time out there, um, the uh, other thing that was uh, worth pointing out here is uh, he had a taxi driver that was taking him around every place, Armando, who was uh, driving an old Chevy that was really, uh, you know, the pale blue, think of pastel blue with the little white uh, down the side, the streaks, uh, really beautiful. Uh, anything else I really want to point out? I'll point out the restaurant that he went to. At one point he goes to a restaurant that was being, the food was being supplied, some of the produce was being supplied by, Fernando to this restaurant that's a uh, celebrity hotspot. So they've had you know people like Madonna and Rihanna and Jay Z, and they they were showing all the photos of the the celebrities that go to this restaurant. Um, and the restaurant owner uh, said that they turn uh, the average plate is about forty dollars. Um, Marcus was able to squeeze out of them that uh, on a good day they might do about eight thousand dollars in revenue. Once again, very difficult to get that number. Nobody wants people to know the numbers. You know, uh, jealousy will shut you down. If, if somebody's cousin in the government wants to go and launch one of these things, too, and they think it's going to be competition, you know, that's what you get when you get uh, state uh, control. Um, so it's not really controlled by the people. Um, but uh, the restaurant was a, a really neat restaurant. And one of the things that uh, I think we'll move toward wrapping up with here is that the owner of the restaurant said that his dream was to have it in a in – a, space where uh, you could have people, uh, the Cuban people coming to the restaurant, so fewer tourists and more locals. And the big problem with that, of course, is that the tourists are the ones with the money. Uh, the economy in, in, in Cuba is, is really hurting, and uh, you know the, the hope of uh, Cuba really is going to be in these new businesses that are launching. There was another business that they uh, took a look at also that made soap and sold soap, and that was neat. And, and Marcus was able to make an impact with her. He looked at uh, just little things, little things he was doing, but he went to her store and saw the storefront and suggested that they get rid of the clutter of things that didn't relate to their core product, which was soap. Um, it's common advice that Marcus will give is like, let's get rid of the stuff that, you know, they had dream catchers and all sorts of things in this little storefront in the marketplace. He's like, let people see your product. Let's give them good signage where it's easy to see it, but then also not blocking the, the product, which is soap. It's confusing for the marketplace. Um, all valid, very, very valid points. Uh, and you just wonder, you know, can you make an impact with people with that little piece of advice? Is that really going to help them? Uh, or is do they still have a long way to go? And I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on both of them and say yes, it's really gonna help, and yes, there's still a long way to go. So uh, more power to them, though. I think this was this episode was a really cool uh, window into the lives of people whose uh, everyday living is in 
in flux and changing because of or due to uh, the uh, the effects of, of growing the economy through entrepreneurialism. And I think it's an exciting time for them to be in Cuba right now. It's an adventurous time. I always tell people being in a startup business can be very difficult, can be very challenging, very tough. And there they have their own things they have to deal with, the rules, the regulations, the added risk of being able to be shut down at any moment. Um, all of those things, not being able to use certain types of products or having things be expensive that wouldn't be expensive for us over here. Uh, so they, it limits their creation or changes the way they need to uh, create their products and services. Uh, but when all said and done, no matter how challenging and no matter how tough it can be, it can also be an adventure. It can also be uh, something that's that's fun, that where you, you get in there and you really enjoy the process of growing your dreams. And uh, they're certainly doing that over there. Uh, they, they need to keep more people in Cuba rather than having all of the workforce. Uh, the restaurant owner had had 20 of his uh, service people go and move to the states out of you know he has 40 people that work for him within the last year he's got 20 that move over to the united states so you can imagine the mass exodus that's occurring while at the same time they're looking to re, uh, revive the economy uh so interesting opportunity and uh a, a fascinating insight once again a window into the lives of these people uh that are it's kind of like being in the middle midst of the gold rush in the United States, uh, and these are the uh, miners that are out there with their pans. But there uh, is the creation that, uh, that uh, tells us this, this is not just taking from the earth. This is building something up that can last the test of time. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, please, by all means, watch it uh, and, and enjoy it. It's a, it's a beautiful insight into a beautiful country. And if you get a chance to visit Cuba, by all means, do it. They, they, I believe they have cruise ships that are going out there now. Uh, so that could be a great opportunity to visit the, com- the country. It's inexpensive on a cruise. Uh, it's a lot less expensive than a normal holiday. Watch yourself on the alcohol, but have a good time out there and maybe get a little Cuban dancing in while you're there. Um, with that, I'm going to wrap up here. Uh, Once again, I'm Chris Howard. You can reach me at Chris Howard Live on both Twitter as well as Instagram. Uh, Go to legendarylivingdaily.com, and you can get daily tips, inspiration, motivation, entrepreneurial tips. Uh, Go to legendarylivingtv.com for YouTube. Download our podcast. Yes, thank you for that music. I love it. Download our podcast here for uh, the Profit After Show with AfterBuzz TV so you can get us drip-fed intravenously and watch these episodes where we break down each episode of The Profit. Uh, we got a, the, a, the big uh, finale of the season coming up. It's not the finale yet, but the, the climax of the finale. So we got several episodes, so we want you here with us each step of the way. And maybe we'll have a little fun and dance on the way. So with that, on behalf of myself, my missing co-host... Katarina Kazayas, AfterBuzz TV. Uh, thanks for being here with us, and we will see you next week. Ade! It's showtime. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 